Thresholds Radio with your host, John Stevenson. Recording a UFO action. And there in the darkness, on the ground, knocking on the walls, something crawling towards me. It's obvious that she had been stabbed. Why? Oh my god! Are you seeing this? To a formation forming. Welcome to Threshold Radio. On tonight's show, we have David Waverly, paranormal investigator and author of the book The Black-Eyed Children, a fascinating yet terrifying book about the strange, pale-skinned, black-eyed children. We'll talk to David after this quick commercial break. We'll be right back. If you've ever wondered about the mysteries of our universe and of our ancient past, this is the event for you. This is George Norrie of Coast to Coast AM, and I'm excited to tell you about the Paradigm Symposium 2012. It's an event being held this October 18th through the 21st in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The Paradigm Symposium will feature unique presentations, a banquet dinner, and guest lectures by me and names like Eric Von Daniken. My name is Eric Von Daniken. I'm the author of Chariots of the Gods, and I am happy after 15 years to come back to the United States this fall to the symposium. Giorgio Tsoukalos. Hey, it's Giorgio Tsoukalos from Ancient Aliens, and I'm looking forward to seeing you at the Paradigm Symposium this October. Tickets are selling fast, so reserve yours today. And all you have to do is visit ParadigmSymposium.com. That's ParadigmSymposium.com. Reviewing our past, changing our future. The Paradigm Symposium 2012, brought to you by Intrepid Magazine and The Graylian Report. Welcome back to Thresholds Radio. With us right now is David Weatherly. David's been a paranormal researcher, I believe, for 35 years or more. I could be wrong, but he just wrote a book, The Black-Eyed Children, or BEKs, if we've discussed on here before, that terrifying subject. How are you doing there, David? I'm great, John. How are you? I'm pretty good. You want to tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Did I get that right? Is, have you been doing this 35 years, or how close am I? Uh, you got it. I've been actively investigating in the field for over 35 years now. I, I started when I was a teenager, had an interest in the paranormal from the time I could read. And uh, when I started in the field, you know, I approached the paranormal in a, a very holistic manner. So that term to me, it meant not just haunted sites, but also cryptids and UFOs and really the whole spectrum. So, you know, for all those years, I've investigated and pursued research uh, in a pretty broad spectrum across the paranormal. Well, yeah, I know we were talking about that off air, too. We both agree in that paranormal covers anything, basically, that's not normal. It's not just ghosts, like a lot of people will say. It's basically anything, UFOs, Bigfoot, anything whatsoever that just is not in the normal realm. Exactly. What's beyond the normal? And, you know, the, the term has kind of been co-opted in the last several years by some of the paranormal television shows that focus only on haunted sites, but it, it really does cover the whole spectrum. But your key thing that got me interested here is your uh, Black-Eyed Children book. We've talked about them before, and it's a fascinating subject. What uh, what got you started in this? Uh, you know, what got you interested? Or is it like me? It was just such an amazing thing. You just had to start digging into it as soon as you heard about it. <laughs> well, you know, I heard about the uh, Black-Eyed Children initially in the late 90s because with the the growth of the internet, a couple of stories showed up that were posted online in some of the early uh, discussion forums that told stories about these black-eyed children. And being interested in, in paranormal in general, I would just you know absorb all this information that was being posted on the net, read the stories, thought they were really interesting. However, at the time, it, it was kind of right there on the edge. I thought, well, this is weird and creepy and interesting, but could be urban legend, could be a hoax, just sort of filed it away and, and took a wait-and-see attitude. Well, what happened was, a few years later, I met a gentleman named Paul, whose story is, is covered in depth in the book. And Paul, he's one of these guys that didn't believe in anything to do with the paranormal. But at the same time, he couldn't leave it alone. And if you've been in the field very long, you start to recognize these types of personalities. They can't leave it alone because there's something that haunts them. And, you know, Paul would always make these cracks, you know, asking if I'd caught Bigfoot or, you know, spotted any flying saucers and things like this. And I was just laughing off. Okay. And, uh, you know, at one point he ran into me having lunch and asked to join me one day. And we started talking. And suddenly this guy just opened up 
Now, Paul was he's six three, six four, big guy, bodybuilder, martial artist. He was a prison guard. This is a guy who has seen you know prison brawls and and people shanked in front of him and just the worst that society can offer. He's never been afraid of anything in his life. All of a sudden, this man is telling me a story, and he's shaking when he starts telling the story about an encounter with a pair of kids that showed up at his door and absolutely terrified him. And he was hoping to get answers. Uh, you know, unfortunately, at the time, I didn't have a whole lot of answers for him other than to say, you know, this is not an isolated incident. There are other people that have reported this. And, you know, I, I talked to him in depth about things that were similar in nature to the, the black-eyed children, but, um, you know, it sort of set me on course to dig around and, and start finding more witnesses and more information. And the more I dug into it, the more fascinating it became. It's a creepy story, actually, too, because from, uh, say, we were talking off-air, you know I know about this, too. It's kind of uh, it, the fear factor. I mean, it's not just, you know, these kids come up and do it. People are terrified. Every encounter or every story I heard, they're just, like, totally freaked. That's correct. And, you know, this is something, this aspect is very difficult for people to understand when they initially hear the stories a lot of the times because the initial thought is, okay, you know, so it's a 10-year-old kid and he's got solid black eyes. It's creepy, but so what? No, there's much more going on in these encounters. And, you know, in general, what we find happens with the, the victims is that they are first uneasy. That unease rapidly goes to, to being outright nervous, and that rapidly escalates into just complete fear and, and terror. All they can do is run away from these children. So, you know, we're not sure what's going on. I mean, there could be something akin to infrasound taking place. Uh, there may be some kind of energy these children are emitting that causes this fear reaction or, or interacts with the human nervous system. But there, there's definitely something transpiring on another level that is causing this level of fear to be generated within the victims. And, you know, of course, it, it, it is creepy, too, because uh, from a physical standpoint, these children, you know, the, the most often uh, described range is between 8 and 13 years of age. Their skin is usually described as being pale or, you know, just looking pasty or, you know, unnatural. And, of course, the eyes are solid black. And that element is usually not noticed until partway into the encounter. In other words, the children will walk there and approach or knock on the door, and they'll have their heads down. And when the person answers, they'll start talking in a very monotone fashion to the person who's answered the door. They're making very odd requests. At some point, you know, they will look up and make eye contact, and at that moment, the person realizes, my God, this, these kids have solid black eyes. And to be clear, we're not talking about just the pupil. We're talking about the entire square, the entire eye is solid black. Right, and for people that haven't listened, a lot of people know this, but I mean, the key thing they want, whether it be your car or your house, is to want in, which is, kind of reminds me of like the old vampires, but every case I've heard they want to be let in. And that's basically all they ever say, too, is let us in. And they repeat the same thing. You're finding the same thing, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, we hear a lot of different phrases, but ultimately their goal is to be invited inside, whether that's, you know, inside a home, inside a car, uh, inside a place of business. And, and sometimes they'll come up with, you know, very strange things because they're, their language, uh, one, it's very monotone is how a lot of people describe it. Two, they do repeat the same phrases over and over again. It's almost as if they've been uh, programmed or they've memorized a certain number of phrases, and they just default back to those. But some of the language doesn't even really come off as natural. You know, for instance, there was, it was a case of a woman who had uh, closed up a convenience store late at night, and, you know, she was in the back trying to count the money, and this is one of those uh, places with the... 24-hour gas pumps outside, but the store itself is closed. And, you know, someone came and was pounding on the, knocking on glass doors. And she said, you know, this happens on a fairly regular basis. It's usually either a drunk or somebody that thinks they can get in to buy a soda or something like that. So, you know, 
Ninety nine percent of the time, she ignores it. The person goes away, and it's it's all done. But this knocking, it just kept going and going and going. And finally, she gets out to see, you know, what's happening and run these people off. And it's, and it's kids. And you know, she approaches the door. She doesn't want to open it. But these kids are, are sort of talking, you know, at her through the glass, and they're saying things. Uh, Let us in. We want to shop. Well, that's just not even a natural phrase for somebody to utilize. Right. Uh, you know, we, we want to shop. And this is the kind of thing that we find in these encounters, these very bizarre phrases. Uh, you know, just let us in. This won't take long. And I think that's hands down one of the creepiest ones I've, I've heard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, what won't take long? <laughs> that's kind yeah, of creepy. What, exactly, <laughs> what won't take long? <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, that's, that, too, is a very disturbing element in these encounters. And what some people will report is that they believe there is attempted mind control being exerted by these children. Uh, you know, interviewed a woman who had had an encounter with a pair of these kids, and her story was very interesting in that she had used hypnotherapy herself to quit smoking. And when she started using... Uh, going to the hypnotist, she had a difficult time going into trance. So she actually had to work with him a little bit to get to that that state where she was allowing herself uh, to be hypnotized. And she said because of that process, she distinctly remembered what the feeling was like when she started to go into trance and, and even when it just initially started from his phrases. So when she encountered these kids, they started repeating these phrases in this very monotone fashion. She said all of a sudden she realized she was having that same sensation as she had at the onset of a hypnosis session. Oh, wow. And, you know, of course, it made her run away from these kids. But it, it, I found that very fascinating because people have, you know, noted that they feel like these kids are, are lulling them into, you know, just uh, a state of complying. And, you know, it's repeated in a lot of these encounters where the victim will stand there, they'll listen to what these kids are saying, and they won't even realize that, you know, they've been opening their own door as if they're, as if they are going to invite the kids in. And, and something kind of snaps and they realize, my God, what am I doing? Oh, exactly. Yeah, like I say, all those things I've studied too. I was telling you off air, I actually had a friend, a Chicago paramedic that it had that happen too, and they came right up to his window and he just looked and jumped and they're like, let us in. We need to come in, and they just kept repeating it, and then turned his head, and bam, an accident happened right outside, and people died. And he he was freaked about that whole thing. When we had him on the air, I mean, people were just like fascinated by that. Yeah, that's that's a very disturbing story, and it's you know there are some accounts that imply that these children are some type of omen because we find that a fair number of people who have encountered them, and then later had, you know, a whole series of, of unfortunate things happen in their lives, or even tragedies, you know, there have been people that have encountered these kids, and, and all of a sudden, you know, right after it, they'll get a phone call that, you know, a relative has died, or, uh, you know, things like that, so they do they do seem to be on some level harbingers of, of uh, misfortune. What's your view? I'm actually not quite sure on this. I've been studying this too, David. We were talking about it. What do you think these they are, their reasoning? I know that's a crazy question, but I mean, what's your kind of view on this? What do you think they are? I get asked that all the time. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a question you, I say it's a question you really can't answer, but. Right. <laughs> no, actually, I feel like I can, I can answer what my opinion is, you know, at this point. Right. Um, I will say that I wrote the book without an agenda. And what I did was, um, you know, you'll see in the book, there's a comparison and, um, you know, chapters that go into all the various possibilities to explain these children. Because one of the weird things about this phenomenon, and one of the things that fascinates me the most, quite honestly, is that it does cross the boundaries um, into a lot of different types of phenomena. You know, you could argue that these kids are, are alien hybrids. You could argue that they're some kind of demonic entity. Exactly. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny because when I, actually when the book first came out, you know, one of the first people that contacted me that read it said, you know, I, I loved your book. You convinced me they're alien hybrids. And I'm thinking, 
oh my gosh, I wasn't trying to convince anybody. That, right. <laughs> you know, and, and literally the next day I had a person contact me and say, I loved your book, you've convinced me, they're demons. <laughs> and, and it just, you know, I brought a smile on my face. I was like, okay, that's exactly what I wanted. I want people to decide for themselves. But, you know, as far as what I believe at this point, uh, it's going to sound a little bit out there, but my opinion now is that these creatures, because they're not really children, uh, these creatures are some type of interdimensional being that uh, is coming through into our reality. Whatever their purpose is, I believe it's it's very sinister. Exactly. That's actually I, what I, I've said I, too. That's that's kind of my feeling. I'm not sure, but I'm no, I'm leaning towards that yeah. too. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, there there are interesting arguments to say, wow, they could be, you know, alien hybrids, or they could be this or that. But uh, really, that's where I am at this point with it. And you know, there's a lot of evidence. Uh, one of the things that fascinates me and has sort of led me to this conclusion is that after looking at hundreds and hundreds of these encounters. I find it very interesting that the culmination of the encounter seems to be causing the victim to reach that high level of fear. Because the bulk of the time, when the victim reaches that peak of fear, these kids disappear. Hmm. It's as if that's what they were trying to achieve. They're just feeding off the energy or the fear or something. Exactly. Exactly. And I talk about this a little bit in the book. There's a section on, uh, you know, uh, tulpas and thought forms, and those are beings that are initially created from pure mental energy mm-hmm. uh, and take on physical form. And ultimately, you know, they can exist on their own, but they still need to have energy for substance, and what they feed on is emotional energy. Well, you know, fear is one of the most intense emotional energies. So uh, I find it fascinating, as I said, that that these encounters, the victim reaches a peak of fear, and all of a sudden these kids vanish. That's weird. So the interdimensional thing is kind of what I was thinking, too, for one reason. You've had a lot more research on this, but from what I've seen, the few people I've talked to, and from what I said, nobody ever sees these kids, like, walk up to your door or walk to your car. They just seem to be there all of a sudden. That's what makes me think they just kind of appear. What have you heard from people like that? Do people see them walking up, or are they just appearing? There are some cases where people have seen them walking, uh, but, you know, that's an interesting interesting point because very often what happens is, you know, these kids, uh, there's there's numerous cases where people believe the kids... uh, glide or uh, move at an incredible rate of speed because, you know, the person will turn around just for a second and turn back and all of, all of a sudden these kids are, are, you know, much closer, for instance. Yeah. And there's no sound from their footsteps or, you know, there's no there's no obvious body movement or shuffling around or anything. It's just, it's almost as if they're just kind of, you know, blip and they're in a different location. Uh, as far as their disappearance, now that's that's one of the things that's really weird about this, these cases. You know, they do vanish. Uh, you know, the uh, encounter that Paul had, uh, Paul ended up, uh, you know, he had the extreme fear reaction. He, uh, he had slammed his door on these kids, had this extreme reaction of fear, uh, walked across the room to get away from the front door, and then he heard this, this rapping sound again, and when he turned around, he saw the face of one of these kids peering in the, the little glass pane on the side of his door and, you know, just staring in the room at him and tapping on the glass. And that caused something to click in Paul, I think, because he was sort of out of range, if that makes any sense, of their, oh, their, of their vibration. Their psychic or whatever powers or whatever they use. He was out of their, maybe, maybe they got a 10-foot yeah. Yeah, range or something. Yeah, there's, there's no telling. I mean, this could be something, you know, uh, again, we look at something like infrasound, you know, which has a distinct range, right. or sounds that, you know, we just don't perceive normally with the human ear that do affect the nervous system. So, you know, Paul evidently was far enough away that it, it caused this something to click in him. He went from incredible fear to just outrage. I mean, he, he was really angry, and he, he saw this face peering in his house, ran into his bedroom, grabbed a firearm, ran back out, and we're talking, you know, this is this guy's train, you know, this is only a few seconds, the bedroom's right there, he flings that front door open, and these kids have vanished. <laughs> They're nowhere in sight. He, he looks in the yard, the driveway, the street, 
everywhere. There's, they're nowhere in sight. And we hear this time and time again where the person, you know, will just turn around and they'll turn back and these kids have vanished. That was the exact same case for my friend. He was a Chicago paramedic. And Chicago's a busy, busy city and it was a wide mm-hmm. open street and uh, there was nowhere to go and they just vanished. Yeah, it's, it's you know, there's one that's in the book that, I found really fascinating because the witness was a deputy sheriff and his story was he got called on a uh, domestic disturbance. Uh, this was, I'm thinking it was like three thirty in the morning. He goes to the home. He, you know, he deals with the people. He doesn't arrest anybody. He's out sitting in his patrol car, filling out his, his paperwork or something. And he looks up at the house next door to the one he was called to and he sees on the deck of this house these two kids standing there. And, you know, of course, his first thought as police officer, you know, my God, it's, you know, it's 3.30 in the morning. Why are these two little kids outside? So he gets out of his car. He goes up. This is a raised deck with one set of steps. He goes up the steps. He sees these two kids standing there. And, he's, you know, he starts to engage them. He says, you know, what's, uh, are you kids okay? You know, what are you doing out here to, did the noise wake you up? What's happening? And these kids, uh, you know, he's looking them over as he's talking to them, and he's realizing their clothes look kind of shabby. They're very pale. He's looking in their faces, and he's realizing their eyes are black, and he's thinking, my God, this maybe this is some kind of abuse, you know, situation going on. Or, you know, he's running through all the possibilities. Right. And the only thing the kids will say is they won't let us inside. Hmm. So intending to get to the bottom of it, he, you know, he opens the screen door and he's pounding on the front door of this home, uh, calling out, you know, sheriff's department, open up. Now, he's blocking the steps with his position and with the door that he's holding open. He pounds on that door, he turns around, these kids are gone. This is a wide open yard with no trees. (laughs) You know, he, he sort of does a double take. He gets his flashlight out. He's shining it all over the yard in the street. There's no sign of these kids anywhere. There's no way they got past him. Right. You know, had they had they climbed, had they gotten off, they would have had to climb the railing and jump down to the ground. So, you know, all in, in a couple of seconds. And uh, it's just a very bizarre case. And this, again, you know, this is from a sheriff's deputy, you know, someone who's trained to observe things. Uh, he did incidentally end up getting someone to come to the door. It was an elderly woman, no children of her own, no grandchildren, didn't know what this guy was talking about. And, you know, he's been puzzled by something. I mean, he, he searched the neighborhood, and, you know, it's, it's something that has just stuck with him. He, he can't figure out what it was he encountered. And that's a credible witness, too. That's the type of person you can really take their word for it. Exactly. What is one of your uh, better witness accounts, or is that, or is that your better one? That's a really good one. Uh, you know, there's there's a few in the book that really stand out to me. There's uh, one that I'll tell you about. It actually uh, came to me after the book was published, so it was put on my blog. But I, I found some elements of it very creepy. It was a gentleman uh, in the Dallas, Texas metro area. He came home from the store and walked up to his front door, put his hand on the door and, and, you know, opened it and suddenly realized there's this kid, this single kid, standing on the ground by his steps. And he turns and looks at this kid and realizes this boy's got solid black eyes. He's just sort of staring up at the man. And what he says to the gentleman is, is it food time? Is it food time? <laughs> is it food time? And this guy is just, you know, he told me he just, you know, he, he said he felt his, the, the blood rushing down, you know, the hair go up on the back of his neck, <laughs> right. and, and this kid is staring at him, and this kid says again, I think it's food time. You should invite me in. Mm. And here's another interesting aspect of this encounter. This gentleman has a three-year-old pit bull. He raised this dog from a puppy, and he has seen this dog face down rattlesnakes and kill them. This dog is in the back of the house somewhere. The house has solid wood floors. He hears the dog barking. 
the door has swung all the way open. There's a hallway that goes from the front door down to the living room. He looks down the hallway and sees his pit bull turn the corner, you know, at a full run, charging down that hallway towards the front door. Hmm. He got about halfway to the front door, and this dog tried to put the brakes on, on a wood floor. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of your listeners have seen this type of thing before. This dog literally fell over himself because he, you know, slid on that floor. He tumbled out onto the step, jumped up, turned around with his tail between his legs and his head down, whining, running back into the house as quick as he could. The dog hid under the bed in the master bedroom for days. Oh. This dog was completely terrified when it got within some kind of range of this kid. Now, I've actually heard so, a shadow people story similar to that, where the animals have freaked and took off. Same same kind of thing, where people have discussed a shadow person. Maybe that's a, another form of a BEK or something, too. That's that's really interesting. Um, you know, there's, there's, very, there's only a couple of cases that I've heard where there was an animal present, and it's really fascinating to hear this kind of reaction. You know, animals have much greater degree of uh, sensitivity to some things than humans do. So, you know, to see and hear about that kind of reaction from an animal is pretty intriguing. And uh, so, you know, the fellow, obviously he went in the house and, and slammed the door as quick as he could. And, you know, he he put his groceries down and went into another room and looked out the window to see what this kid was doing. And the kid had vanished at that point. Huh. Have you actually any correlation like between shadow people, David, or like uh, MIBs, Men in Black? You know, it kind of sounds like the same thing. You know, somewhat. Anything you've discovered where they're kind of uh, intermixing or anything? You know, I looked at uh, the correlations between the black-eyed children and shadow people, and when I was writing the book, I just didn't see enough correlations to uh, you know talk about that really in the book. So that's. There's not a correlation between them and shadow people in the book. There is, however, a chapter on the similarities with the men in black because there are quite a few connections between the two. For instance, this monotone speech that a lot of the accounts talk about is right. the same thing we find often in men in black encounters. The pale or pasty skin is something we often find. The odd use of language. And the odd, odd behavior, too. Or, that, or memorized. I was going to say that odd behavior they have, too. They both have that, too. Yes. Yeah. And, and very stiff. Uh, you know, people don't put these kids moving around a whole lot, which is kind of odd. They're often standing in a very, what would be an odd manner for, you know, kids. You know, kids are usually just, you know, kids that age are usually a bit more relaxed, but these children are often very stiff. You know, they often have their arms hanging at their sides and, and things like that. And, and something that's really intriguing, even since the book has come out, there are more connections between the Black Eyed Children and the Men in Black because this whole thing has surfaced that uh, deals with electronic interference in conjunction with Black Eyed Child Encounters. Right. Like when we tried to start our interview today. (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, may or may not be coincidence, but I'll I'll tell you, you know, you have to stop calling things coincidence when they happen over and over and over again. Right. Uh, But there have been other weird things, too. Uh, You know, I've told this story a few times, but after the book came out, I received an email a few months after it was out. I got an email from this woman who said, you know, I, I don't want you to think I'm crazy. And, uh, that's always that's always kind of a loaded opening. You don't know what you're going to get. You know? But this woman was pretty interesting. You know, she told me that she started reading the book. Uh, the first night, uh, her smoke alarm went off. So, you know, she got one day smoke in the house. She got up, shut the alarm off. The second time she sat down to start reading it, the timer on her oven went off. And she said she didn't even know what it was at first because she never uses it. And then the third time she sat down, the third night she sat down to start reading the book, her garage door opened itself, and that was kind of the final straw for her. And she said, you know, look, I'm really interested in this phenomenon, but I don't want any visits, you know. I don't want any encounters with these things. I just want to know if anybody else has experienced this. And, uh, you know, the truth is, ultimately, now I've been in a lot of contact with her, and uh, in recent 
weeks, it's become evident that she actually has some suppressed memories that she's starting to bring through about an encounter with some of these black-eyed children. But there have been other situations where there has just been this weird, you know, electronic interference that comes in, and it's unexplainable. Uh, I was on uh, Dreamland with Whitley Strieber, and when we started the interview, we actually had to, to start and stop a couple of times because he was having these weird things happen in his studio. And he told me, he says, you know, I've been doing this show for years, David, and I've never seen this kind of thing happening. Huh. And uh, Well, that's interesting. Weird, uh, like what we had when we, we were talking for 20 minutes before. I go, okay, we're going to record now, and all of a sudden you can't hear me. <laughs> right, right. Now all of a sudden we're getting this weird echo when we start to record. So. Wow, that's creepy. Yeah, it's it's very creepy. <laughs> and, and, you know, there have been other similar situations that have happened. It's this weird electronic stuff will come in and again that harkens back to some of the classic men in black encounters where the 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 person who encounters these beings will later have strange sounds on their telephone you know uh, odd reactions from electronic devices and so forth well how about the the kids the ages are what like 11 12 13 isn't that what people usually say somewhere around there i mean are there variations are you getting older ones i mean are you getting like bek's in their 20s or is it always like the children you know, there are accounts of black-eyed adults. Now, I didn't include those in the book for a number of reasons. One is that those are far fewer. Uh, two, we really get into a range where we're looking at more uh, hoaxing going on. And, you know, there's there's a small number of those that seem very credible and, and interesting. And I'll probably cover that at some point in, in another book or something else. But, you know, the... The book itself deals with just the kids. The range that I find most of the reports fall into is between 8 and 13 years okay. of age. And, uh, you know, bear in mind that a lot of the times you're having adults who don't have any kids of their own just kind of estimating. So it's very common for me to hear 10 years old. You know, that, that seems to be the most common age for some reason. You know, people think, oh, this kid must have been 10 years old. Uh, so... You know, right right in that, um, up to those preteen years is where we find the most reports. And one thing I found when I was doing this research, people, the common thing, and I'm, I know you've heard this too, contacts. But those are like 250 350 bucks, and kids aren't going to be doing that. But they do have solid black contacts, but they are not cheap. They're not cheap. And, I, you know, that was one of the first things I actually really looked at uh, when I started looking at this phenomenon, I, I looked at two things. One is the possibility of potential for hoaxing, and two, were there any medical conditions that could account for this appearance? Because, you know, you commonly see the skeptics will jump up and down and say, oh, no, it's, it's uh, black contacts, you know, or, oh, no, it's, it's uh, drug use. And, you know, so my approach was the medical aspect. I talked to some medical professionals, and I said, you know, is this possible? Does it happen? Uh, there's not really a condition that um, that I've ever found or, or heard from any physicians that would account for a solid black eye. The person would essentially be blind if that was the case. Uh, you know, there are a couple of conditions that essentially create what's called a blown pupil, which causes the pupil to enlarge, but it doesn't change the color of the eye. Color, you know, stays blue or brown or, or whatever it is naturally. So there's nothing really medically that accounts for this. As far as the potential for hoaxing, uh, that's something I, I examined pretty thoroughly. You know, first of all, yes, for full sclera contact lens, you're looking in in the range of uh, two to three hundred dollars, and you know that's that's kind of ridiculous for somebody to spend that amount of money to begin with, but. You know, you really have to, to stretch this out because you're saying, okay, so a 10-year-old kid has swiped daddy's credit card to blow 300 bucks on a pair of black contact lenses. <laughs> right. He's went to a neighborhood where no one knows him to knock on a random door and try to scare the hell out of somebody. And then he somehow runs away when they're not looking without any trace being left behind. I'm sorry, it's not happening. And you know what? Uh to further sort of prove the point, I, I talked to a bunch of teenagers, and, uh, you know, these kids, if you've got kids yourself or people listening to have kids, you're going to know those kids are more interested in, in 
texting, listening to the latest hip-hop song or, or whatever. They're not wasting their time and money for this, you know, one-off prank that they really don't get any satisfaction out of. So, you know, is there any hosting involved? Yeah, there's probably a couple here and there. But ultimately, that's not the reason behind these signs. Well, aren't they, I mean, I, I'm actually not sure. Aren't they normally in, in pairs or something? I mean, are there cases where they're just single kids, too? Or are, there, are they ever in more groups? I think all I've ever heard was, like, a, a couple of them or something. Yeah, I've seen uh, accounts where there's up to three. And, you know, it seems to be most common that they come in pairs, that there's a pair of them. Uh, but occasionally we do find just a single child shows up. You know, like the account in Texas, you know, it was just a single child. Uh, that showed up at this gentleman's store. And then, then we get other weird things that come in, too. You know, there was an account from uh, London, England, which was, was very fascinating. This was from a, a government employee. And this guy, he came home. He lived in a secure flat, so it was a key to entry. You know, he goes upstairs. He goes in his, his flat, and uh, he's getting a beer or something, and he hears this thumping noise, is how he described it, out in the hallway. And he kind of listens to it for a second, and he's, curious as to what it is and goes about his business then he hears it again and he opens the door and here are these two kids standing right at his door solid black eyes you know he he said their kid the kids looked uh he thought at first they were homeless he thought they had you know maybe hand-me-down clothing or something and they were very pale you know he's, he's looking up and down the hallways asking where their parents are all the standard questions that any adult would ask and uh as the encounter is taking place, these kids. Now, this gentleman, I should add, uh, he's he's a native Brit, but he did a lot of his education in the United States. He's lived in a couple of other countries. He's well traveled, and he told me that you know these kids sounded like they were doing a poor imitation of a British accent. They're saying we want to watch the telly. <laughs> Let us in to watch the telly, and. You know, like anybody else, he's wondering, what the heck is with these kids? He's getting nervous. He said that he he looked inside his flat just thinking about, was there something he could grab to defend himself? When he turned, those few seconds, when he turns back around, the two kids are now three. Oh, wow. There's a third one that has just manifested from somewhere. And they're all standing there, staring at him. That's enough. He slams the door. You know, he's, he's very nervous. He's pacing around his flat, and he hears this thumping noise again. And, you know, this is this is kind of unusual. There, I've heard a couple of other accounts where there are these weird sounds prior to the account. Uh, this gentleman, you know, was convinced that whatever that noise was, it was how they were arriving and then how they were leaving. Oh, like their, you know, when he finally, their gateway or whatever... <laughs> Exactly, exactly. He, he told me, he said it's like they dropped in from somewhere. And, uh, you know, he got up the nerve to, to go to the door and crack it open again and look in the hallway, and these, these kids are gone. You know, it's odd about that, actually, David, if you think about it. He's a growing man, and he has, you know, 11, 12-year-old kid out there, and he's thinking of, what can I grab to defend myself? You know, think of that frame of mind. You know, that, that, that shows you how afraid he was, because a normal adult wouldn't be looking for a weapon against a little kid. That's absolutely correct, John. And the thing is, you know, I, I like to mention to people that you have to understand there's a psychological component that occurs during these encounters. Anytime you mix children and the paranormal, it, it just changes the tone all the way across the board. And in a situation like this, you know, we're hardwired as adults <clears throat> to help children. If, if a child shows up and needs something, your natural reaction is going to be, it's a kid that needs help. Exactly. What can I do? But, you know, this other element that's taking place that we don't really understand that's causing this this nervousness and this fear is is really screwing with people's minds. So, you know, these people, I, I mean, I can see it in their faces when they're recounting these, these encounters. There's this psychological battle that goes on. And a lot of these people will say to me, it looked like a kid. I felt like I should let them in and just help them. But at the same time, I felt like I was being eyed by a predator. Wow. And it, it really it just sort of twists people's minds and, and they can't, 
you know, they get sort of locked up. They don't know what to do. Do you know? Do I let this kid in? But what happens if I do? I'm I'm terrified. Why am I terrified? It's just a kid. So it, it's it's a very hard thing for us to comprehend from the outside. You know, you really have to think about that psychological component. You know, the obvious question here, has anybody ever let one in? I mean, th- that's still around to tell you about it. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's, that's, <laughs> it's really uh, kind of disturbing to ponder how many people have invited them in that we don't know about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because it just vanished. I yeah. mean, I, I, I was talking to someone earlier about this today, an incredible number of people go missing every year. And, uh, you know, and I don't, and nobody get excited. I'm not saying the blackhead kids are running around abducting people, but, you know, what if, what if just, you know, uh, a half a percent of that has something to do with these encounters? It's just really disturbing. But as far as encounters that uh, have occurred that we know about, really there's only a couple that are, um, that have come to me that are, are valid accounts. Now, I have probably in the neighborhood of five. Most of those I can't share because of the things that happened to the people. There is one that's detailed fully in the book. And uh, the short version of it is that a woman was driving home. She had her 10-year-old son in the backseat of her SUV. He's sitting directly behind her. She stopped at a convenience store. She she leaves the child in the SUV. She runs in to, to grab her milk or whatever. She comes back out jumps in her car on autopilot, you know, she's turning the key and she's looking in the mirror automatically, the rearview mirror, staring back at her as a kid with solid black eyes. Holy cow. He's sitting in the he's sitting in the middle of the seat right beside her son. She immediately has this intense fear reaction. She jumped out of the SUV. She opened the back door and jerked her son out. She ran in the store. She uh, was too nervous to drive her own car home. She ends up calling her husband. And, uh, I'm sort of fast-forwarding a little bit to give you the gist of what unfolded here. Uh, a lot more details in the book, but uh, she and her husband switched vehicles because the child has vanished, obviously. She, uh, she has not told her husband what transpired at this point. She drives home. The husband in her SUV a couple of miles away has an accident and totals the vehicle. Mm. Ends up in the hospital under observation because they thought he had a concussion. Uh, he turned out to be fine. The 10-year-old son, uh, she tries to engage him, and she's asking him, you know, do, do you know that boy from school? Uh, no, Mommy, I don't know him. Well, why did he get in our car? Oh, I asked him to get in, Mommy. I thought we could go to my house and play. Hmm. So this 10-year-old child, really just not knowing any better, seeing a potential playmate, he actually invited this boy into the SUV. And uh, the aftermath of this encounter was that the 10-year-old child became very ill. They took him to the doctors. The doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong with him because his symptoms kept changing. Uh, you know, they thought at one point he had the flu. They thought he had appendicitis. He, he broke out in a rash. They thought he had the measles. Every time they thought they knew what was wrong, his symptoms would change. And as a result, there was really nothing they could do for him. Uh, ultimately, you know, the, the family took the child home and turned to uh, prayer and positive energy, you know, being focused on this child for a while. And eventually he recovered, and, and every symptom went away. He's perfectly healthy today. Wow. But the, the parents are completely convinced that, you know, they just they encountered something that was outright evil. That's creepy. Well, a lot of stuff I hear, uh, like I said, I, I, for some, you were saying the same thing. I kind of think there might be some sort of interdimensional thing, but I don't know. But a lot of what I hear and a lot of what people say is they think they're just positively convinced they're demons because of the mm-hmm. terrible fear and the, you know, the piercing black eyes. Yeah, and you know that, I mean, a, a demon, you know, or really talking about, um, you know, what people are commonly thinking in, in Catholic terms, you know, the Catholic uh, right. description of, of a demon, you know, uh, in terms of, of how the Church views those entities. So, you know, they well could be the same thing. I, I mean, it's just it's just a label, ultimately. Uh, but, you know, these beings, whatever they are, coming from, you know, if, if they are shifting in from some other dimension, you know, it's just a very different uh, different way to think about 
probably the same thing. Exactly. How about that? Like I say, we hit that before, too, the alien-human hybrids. I mean, because they do have kind of a, uh, you know, E.T. look to them, too. Are there a lot of people that might think that's it? Or what What are your people, you know, that you talk to that have had these encounters? What are they coming up? What do they think it is? Or, or they, do they know? You know, it's funny. The, the two most common things that people believe are uh, that they're demons or that they are alien-human hybrids. And you could obviously make an argument for either one, quite honestly. As far as the hybrid similarities go, you know, just looking at the image, uh, I know you've seen the cover of my book. I'm actually looking at it right now. It creeps the heck out of me. Yeah, it it creeps a lot of people. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, it harkens back a little bit to the iconic cover of Communion by Whitley Strieber. And, you know, that, that very weird gray alien with the huge black eyes just sort of staring forward. And, you know, for uh, for years and years now, we've had a growing number of women who um, come forward and profess that they have been abducted and utilized for some type of breeding program by these gray aliens and that the result are hybrid children who have solid black eyes, a very pale skin, uh, usually, you know, very wispy hair and, and you know, some of the some of the strange qualities of the gray sort of blended with human DNA. And, you know, there are there are people who firmly believe that that's what these things are. Uh, there are accounts in the book in the section on hybrids, you know, of, of people who believe they have encountered their children here on this planet that are the result of this hybrid program. And, uh, Curiously enough, you know, those are the really the only accounts that seem to show up where the victim doesn't experience this level of fear. You know, for instance, there, there's an account in the book of a woman who, um, you know, she, she comes home and she hears a knocking at her uh, back door, a pair of French doors that open onto the back of her uh, at the back of her home. And she goes to those doors. She looks out the window and she sees this boy standing there with solid black eyes and uh, pale skin, and she said that when she saw him, she felt like she connected to him, and she instantly knew, and and still believes to this day, that that was her child. Wow. And that, uh, you know, he was the result of, uh, she, she believes she's been abducted uh, for a long period in her life, and that, um, you know, she was used for this breeding program. Now, she opened the door, and saw him standing outside and saw a second child standing behind him. But she said that she did not feel connected to that second child. Uh, so right when she's opened this door and she's looking at this, this child, uh, her husband comes in the front door and you know, says something very loudly, you know, hey, hey, honey, or something like that. and causes her head to snap around and look at him. And she quickly looks back uh, to her patio and these kids are gone. They've, they've disappeared. And... You know, they live in a, a very, uh, they live in a gated community, you know, with uh, fences across the back. And, you know, it's a very, uh, you know, one of those little planned suburban neighborhood communities. Right. And, uh, you know, the, the husband, of course, runs outside because she's she's pointing out there. He thinks there's somebody messing around. You know, he looks around. There's no sign of anyone. There's really no way these kids could have could have gotten out or certainly not that quickly. So, you know, she did not have the fear experience and she firmly believes that uh, this was her child and that he just wanted to let her know that he was there. And she she firmly believes that he's here somewhere, you know, uh, blending into society, essentially. Have you ever had the opportunity or any of these contact or people, whatever you want to call them, actually, I've had these encounters actually hypnosis or anything like that to you know try to recall details is that anybody ever tried anything like that you know um a, a couple of that some of the some of the people who have who i've interviewed in regards to abductions certainly have uh because that's a common way for abductees to start retaining uh, regaining some of their memories as far as people that have only encountered the black eyed children they're extremely reluctant to do that you know you have to understand that these people are essentially trauma victims, and they have a lot of uh, difficulty in their life after these encounters that you know, all they want to do is, is move beyond it and forget it. The last thing they want to do usually is remember or re-experience these children. 
so, you know, a lot of them end up seeking different kinds of therapy or spiritual counseling or, uh, you know, they, they have a lot of symptoms, uh, disrupted sleep patterns, you know, continued nervousness. I mean, uh, some of these people, they're, they're very nervous if somebody comes to the door, you know, still because they're just, um, that, that fear reaction almost starts to kick in, you know, that, that, oh my God, what if they're back? So this, this is a long-lasting thing. It's not that you're at the door and you're scared, you close the door and you're over it. This is something that sticks with you. It, it seems to, you know, the, the bulk of these people who have these encounters, they're haunted by it. And, you know, it's, it's a very difficult thing for them to move beyond. Have they had encounters, David, where, you know, multiple times, you know, where you've seen one and, you know, like years later or a week later or something, you see him again? No, not really. Are there... There's a couple of strange accounts. Uh, there's there's one from a a woman who you know, she had an encounter with these kids uh, at her apartment, and she said for for a couple of days she kept seeing them in the the dis- like they'd be standing across the street from her when she was walking, and you know she would look at them, she would glance away for a second, and they would vanish. Uh, almost as if they hadn't quite gotten something from her they wanted. Uh, but there's not really um, any cases where we find multiple encounters, no. That's interesting. Because when you talk about alien abduction and that kind of stuff, it, they always say it reoccurs, so that's kind of... It's... Exactly. It's usually the opposite. Right. Now, now a lot of these people, uh, you know, there are, there are quite a few of these people who have nightmares, about the children, and you know, I've heard from more than one person that they will wake up from a dream, and they'll set up in bed right in that that in between state where they're you know not fully awake but not asleep either. You know, they're they're waking up, they're uh, you know sitting up in bed, and they hear this rapping sound, and they're convinced those kids have come back, and they're tapping on the window or the door or something, uh, but they don't see them. You know, they just feel that these kids have come back. Uh, that could be just a psychological manifestation of the trauma that these people have went through. You know, what's odd about this is actually, and like I say, I'm looking at the cover of your book. It just gives me a totally creepy, uneasy feeling. And anything like this. As a matter of fact, when I started this uh, radio show years ago, the logo for the show was a BEK and scared people. I finally had to take it off because people complained it freaked them out. <laughs> <laughs> there's just something about this it just it seems to scare people you know just looking at it just gives you the creeps yeah it sure does it sure does okay do you have any uh thing coming up david or any shows you're going to be on or uh how about your website or any information for everybody yeah sure actually the uh middle of this month the 18th through the 21st i'll be at the paradigm symposium oh you're going to minneapolis minnesota i'm speaking at that oh my i want to go to that so bad but it doesn't have me (laughs) able to make it this year i'm even running commercials for them for free (laughs) oh this this is going to be an incredible event john it really is i'm i'm deeply honored to be speaking uh, you know, with the people that are on this panel. I mean, it's Eric Von Donneken that's coming to speak. And he hasn't, he hasn't been, been what, in this 15 years for, or something? Yeah, so somewhere between 10 and 15 years since he's been in this country at a speaking engagement like this. So, you know, that alone, I mean, he's you know, he's one of the first things I read as a kid. Uh, so, you know, yeah, that's an honor. And, guys, and yeah. It's just an amazing A-list of people. Uh, you know, Philip Copens, uh, Bill Burns, uh, Georgie, uh, yeah. Sukulos, yeah, Giorgio uh, in his hair, both. I got they. They have separate billings. <laughs> they'll both be there. Yeah, what what hair, as he would say. So uh, it's it's an amazing event. Uh, again, that's a paradigm symposium. There are day passes available. You know, it, it's it's an event not to be missed. You know, I, I really think it's the event of the year. And uh, you can find out about that at um, intrepidmag.com and also uh, I think it's paradigmsymposium.com It's actually kind of funny uh, is so, right, right before we talk we're pre-taping here I run an ad for that right before I cut into you we have an ad for that actually Oh that's funny <laughs> Scotty's a friend of mine I've had yeah, him on so. the air before too so I've been trying to help him out here uh, Scotty's a good friend of mine and, and as you probably noticed he designed the cover of the book so uh, you know he, he did an incredible job with that and uh of course, it's he and his, his uh, business partner, Micah Hanks, who are producing this show. Uh, so, you know, otherwise, I've got um, a, a couple of 
other possibilities later this year. Nothing's firmed yet, so I won't say anything. But you can watch uh, for my appearances on my blog. Uh, that is two crows paranormal dot blogspot dot com, and that is T W O C R O W S paranormal dot blogspot dot com. There's also a badge on there for my Facebook. You know, people are welcome to friend me on Facebook. I've got a Twitter feed. And, uh, you know, that's really, those are the best sources right now to follow what I'm working on and where I'm appearing. You'll see stories on the blog from the whole range of, of the paranormal spectrum, from UFOs to cryptids to haunted sites. And uh, as far as the book, the best place to purchase that is directly from leprechaunpress.com. Right. You know, I had something I actually forgot to ask you, David. How many uh, encounter stories... Have you heard witness accounts? I mean, you know, in, in doing this book and everything, I mean, you're talking dozens, you know, hundreds. How many people have you encountered that have run into these things? You know, I don't have an exact number, but I, I, I someone asked me that recently, and, uh, you know, I, I think it's over 1,000 at this point. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and and what type of time range? It's really uh, the the time range, well, that's something interesting we didn't even really address because, you know, one of the things I set out to do when I started investigating this was to find encounters that predated the Internet and television. Right. So there's a really fascinating encounter from 1950 in the book. Uh, but, you know, even uh, recently I'm, I'm starting to hear stories from uh, some Native American lore that relate to these things. So they, these creatures, whatever they are, have been around for a long time. It's just this modern term of uh, BEK or black-eyed children, black-eyed kids. That's what's recent, and that's what uh, has come along with the advent of the Internet. So what really brought this all up was that story, what was it, the late 90s, 2000, that guy that, what was it, He was. they wanted him yeah, to Brian give him a ride Bethel. to the movies or something like that? Right, right. Brian Bethel in Texas, uh, his story seems to be the one that sort of initiated the, the modern uh, tales of the black eyed children. Because that's the one that got me interested. And actually, for a while, I thought it was just a urban legend or some sort of story. I wasn't sure, but then I started mm -hmm. hearing more things about it. And probably the same with you. You probably, because when you first started researching this, it sounded so far out there, you didn't know about it. Exactly, exactly. But there are more and more stories. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm not the only one tracking these things at this point. There's, there's people all over the country and, and even abroad that are collecting these stories, and, and they're all getting different ones. I mean, every day practically, I hear new. Uh, about new encounters, and, and they're all pretty fascinating. You know, it's I, I do paranormal research. We were talking off air. I do the same things you do, and this stuff doesn't scare me. You know, I see a ghost. I'm not going to run away like the TV guys. I'm going to try to see if I can make contact with it or something. But the thought of running across the BEK scares the crap out of me. I do not want to see one of these things. <laughs> you know, I get asked that all the time, too, if I, if I want to see one. And I, I, I tell you, I've had a lot of personal encounters with different types of phenomena, but I, I genuinely have no interest in a personal encounter with these things simply <laughs> because I've heard too many stories of them being an, an omen of ill fortune, of them just bringing, you know, very disastrous things to people's lives. And, and you know, uh, it's just uh, not something I'm interested in encountering. That's what we'll do. <laughs> We're going to go on your website and you see on your blog, I saw a BEK tonight and then th the blog's done. <laughs> <laughs> okay, David, well, it was great talking to you, and uh, you have to get in touch if anything else comes up, you know, any amazing stories, or if somebody has an encounter, lets them in and lives to tell a really good story, you have to let us know about it. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Okay, thanks. If you've ever wondered about the mysteries of our universe and of our ancient past, this is the event for you. This is George Norrie of Coast to Coast AM, and I'm excited to tell you about the Paradigm Symposium 2012. It's an event being held this October 18th through the 21st in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The Paradigm Symposium will feature unique presentations, a banquet dinner, and guest lectures by me and names like Eric Von Daniken. My name is Eric Von Daniken. I'm the author of Chariots of the Gods, and I am happy after 15 years to come back to the United States this fall to the symposium. Giorgio Tsoukalos. Hey, it's Giorgio Tsoukalos from Ancient Aliens, and I'm looking forward to seeing you at the Paradigm Symposium this October. Tickets are selling fast, so reserve yours today. And all you have to do is visit ParadigmSymposium.com. That's ParadigmSymposium.com. Reviewing our past, changing our future. The Paradigm Symposium 2012, brought to you by Intrepid Magazine and The Graylian Report. 
Before we end tonight's show, we have something a little bit special for you. Our way of saying thank you for listening. We have an autographed copy of Bloodstains, Jeff Mudgett's amazing book about H.H. Holmes. Be the first caller tonight at the studio line, 708-966-9UFO, 708-966-9836. Good luck.